Let's take our Bibles tonight and turn over to the book of James. James chapter 3. We're kicking off a new series on Sunday evening and it's going to be entitled, When to Hold Your Tongue. I thought it was better than, you know, when to shut up. So, when to hold your tongue. All right. And um, boy, you got those images of uh, somebody grabbing the end of your tongue and holding on to it or you holding it or whatever it might be, but when to hold your tongue. And so we're going to begin in the book of James. We have this passage there that, boy, I'll tell you, it's a definitive passage. It's the most uh, uh, practical. It's inclusive. Uh, it, it has everything we really need about the tongue, really, right there at our disposal. And so we're going to look at James chapter 3. We're going to begin reading in verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 12. And uh, we're probably going to focus tonight just on the first six verses, and then we're going to get into the actual when to hold your tongue. So this is kind of an introductory message that's going to address the tongue in general, and then we'll go ahead and consider some specifics along the way as we move forward in the future. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. My brethren, be not many masters, <clears throat> knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able to also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which, though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so, the tongue is a member, excuse me, a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father. Therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear also olive berries, either a vine, figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh? Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. Well, we read an extra verse. You got a little extra for your money there. James chapter 3. Boy, what a powerful passage. And in this particular passage, right through part of chapter 4, James is discussing the believer's behavior. And again, there's a, I mean, the Christian life is a very practical life. And in this particular case, again, uh, James is beginning now to speak about our, our, how we're to respond as believers, how we're to behave as believers. He begins with the sins of the tongue. As teachers and leaders, he shares with us that we're to realize the awesome responsibility that comes with teaching and speaking in general. The master or the teacher is expected to practice what they preach and also to ensure that what they teach is true. There's a responsibility that he extends and expresses here in the passage to those who are going to share, whether it be the gospel or any other facts, that we need to be careful. 
Because the tongue is so important and how we share and what we share is equally important. Sincerity is not enough. We have to be right. What we share must be true. And although this portion of Scripture may begin with an emphasis on teachers, and it does, it is equally pertinent and very practical for all believers. God holds all of us, yes, especially teachers, but He holds all of us and warns each and every one of us that we are accountable for what we say. And boy, that's important, isn't it? In the book of Matthew, chapter 12, verse 36, the Bible reads, or the Lord Jesus himself said, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. That's a pretty solemn or pretty sobering thought, really, isn't it? Every idle word, just everything that we say is being recorded. Now, I know in the day and age in which we live, this is much more believable. It wouldn't have been but 20, 30 years ago we would have said, wow, that, that's just amazing to think that everything that is being recorded, that all of our words are going to be uh, made available in the end. Boy, we just said, that's crazy. I mean, how can that really be done? Will it really work quite like that? Well, boy, we live in a day and age where everything's being recorded. Where, boy, I'll tell you what, you type something on Facebook or you post something on the Internet, it is still there 20 years from now, 30 years from now. You say, well, I have it erased. Somebody is going to find it. Somebody can dig it up. Somebody can bring it back to life, so to speak. Look at how many people are losing their jobs today in the current job market. Why? Leads of losing or not getting the job they want because they've posted something, they've said something, they've done something in the past, and somebody will not allow them to forget it. Boy, at least in my day when I grew up, and it wasn't that long ago, but it was long enough ago that when you did something stupid as a teenager, you did something dumb as an early uh, 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 adult, you, there was things that you kind of they kind of got forgotten. Now, maybe those that you were around remembered, and maybe you'll never forget, but at least the world didn't know. You can't get away from it. Take a snapshot of yourself in a naked form. And let me tell you something, friend, that'll haunt you the rest of your life. And yet there are people doing it every day, and there are teenagers in the church, I'm sure, that are doing it as well. You don't realize the ramifications. Everything is being recorded, and everything can come back up to haunt you. You better be careful with all that mess. Well, let me tell you something. The Bible's talking about the tongue, and it's being very practical. And James now, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling us, you better watch it. That tongue's important. And Jesus is saying, let me, every idle word's going to be judged. You're going to be accounted for, accountable for it. In verse 2, James makes a very, he makes a couple of very sweeping statements. He says, for in many things we offend all. For in many things we offend all. Is that true in your life and in mine? If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. Boy, that's a pretty sweeping statement. If, if any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. You know, as human beings, we are prone to offend. And we are prone to offend in many things. That's pretty natural for us to offend James goes on to say that a person who can honestly claim that he or she never says anything wrong or out of place can consider themselves perfect. Wow, that's something, isn't it? I want you to take a moment with me and, and consider who's writing the portion of Scripture here. 
It's James, a.k.a. Jesus' brother. That's pretty interesting to me. I mean, James grew up with Jesus, did he not? I mean, he lived in the same town. He went to the same school. He lived in the same house. He, st- he shared the same parents. He worked side by side in the carpenter shop. He traveled with the Lord Jesus for three and a half years. And all that time, James never, ever, ever heard Jesus tell a lie. And all that time, he never heard him back talk his parents or speak a cross word or say anything suggestive or vulgar or lose his temper or respond unkindly in any way. Jesus never said anything that he'd have to regret or apologize for later. And I got to believe that as James is writing this passage, he's envisioning or picturing Jesus. And he comes to the conclusion that the man who offends not in word is perfect. And why wouldn't he? Because the only one he ever experienced not offending in word was Jesus Christ. And he indeed is and was perfect. So in this passage today, I want to kind of look at just a couple of the verses And I said we probably wouldn't go past verse 6, but I want to begin today with verses 3 and 4. And I want to note the pattern that we see in the passage. And then we're going to look at verse 5 and consider the power. And finally, we want to note the perversion in verse 6. As we deal with the tongue, we want to consider the pattern, the power, and the perversion. And so let's go ahead and take a few moments. We'll have a word of prayer and we'll move along here. Father, thank you for this time together. Now bless us and encourage us. Lord, we need your word, and Lord, we need what it has for us. There's not one of us, Lord, that is perfect. There's not one of us that doesn't offend. There's not one of us that doesn't use our tongue in the wrong way at some point or some time. Oh, God, help us to be much more aware of the tongue and needful of being cautious. May we never, ever allow ourselves to become so forgetful that we neglect to carefully pick our words and choose our words wisely. Well, God, help us. I know in my own life how I need this. Lord, I'm sure, Father, that many would agree in their own life as well it's needed. Bless us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we note the pattern, verses 3 through 4. There we see in our passage, we see the Bible says, Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. He goes on to describe ships as well, but in these particular verses, James points to some practical examples of how little things direct or steer larger things. Of course, he, he talks about the horse and the bit, and I mean, it is amazing when you think about it how such a small piece of metal can steer such a powerful creature. It really is rather amazing to me. I don't know. I mean, a horse could just crush us, let's be honest. If it chose to do so, it could, you know, catch us between the, the rail of a fence and smash us to death and trample us with its hooves. And I mean, we would be no match, in a sense, to a horse's strength or power, and yet we put this little bit in its mouth and we direct it. We tell it everywhere to go. We control that huge creature 
with a small piece of metal called a bit. He then goes on to speak of ships that are, of course, very large and are driven by extremely powerful winds. And he says, yet are they turned about with a very small helm. Well, a helm, the word helm refers to how a ship is turned. Uh, the mechanism that turns a ship is very small in comparison to the size of the ship. We understand that. It could be referring to a rudder that's in the back of the ship when it's a smaller ship or possibly even a wheel at the helm of a larger one. But it's going to direct, it's going to steer a ship, this so-called helm or rudder. The Bismarck was the pride of the German Navy. It was its newest and most powerful battleship. There wasn't a ship in the British Navy that could face her alone, not one. The Bismarck was faster than any of the British ships as well. And what that meant really was that it had its way. It could systematically pick off any other ship uh, here and there, just kind of go in and kind of get out so fast. So plans were made to sink that particular ship, the Bismarck. And after a number of attempts, the British Navy finally scraped together a small fleet in hopes of catching the Bismarck before it could get back to port. One of the ships was an aircraft carrier by the name of Park Royal. It was a very experienced ship. However, it was ill-equipped in that it had very antiquated um, airships on it. They were called swordfish. And therefore, they uh, made their way there nonetheless because, let's face it, they were rather desperate. It had already sunk a ship that had 2,000 men on it, all of them going to their demise. And so now, in desperation, they're doing all they can to get rid of the Bismarck. So this particular, Bismarck, this particular uh, ship, the Park Royal, made its way there to where the Bismarck was, and it launched some of its aircraft. And the aircraft ultimately shot one of their torpedoes that landed in the water and it created a wake as it made its way to the Bismarck. On board the Bismarck, the captain, he tried to swerve out of the way, but it was too late. And so that torpedo struck the Bismarck. And when it struck the Bismarck, the rudder was jammed. That which turned the ship jammed up. Now, the Bismarck was almost within sight of France. And just a little bit further, and the Bismarck would be safe. At that point, the Luftwaffe would be able to protect her. However, the Bismarck was doomed with a jammed rudder. And what that meant was, is that all that the Bismarck could do was steam around in a big circle. Because the rudder was jammed. So the Bismarck became a sitting duck. And as a result, it received blow after blow by five British destroyers. Finally, the King George V arrived with her massive 16-inch guns. She began firing as shell after shell impacted the hull of the Bismarck until finally a submarine came along and fired on that molten mass of steel and she sunk to her watery grave. All because of a rudder. Once the rudder got out of control, the great ship was lost. The pride of the German Navy, gone, sunk, because of a failure of a rudder. James says, 
yet they are turned about with a very small helm. Well, I'll tell you what, we need to be very careful because the tongue is likened to that small helm. Boy, how, how much power it has, however. We see the pattern, and then we, we do note the power in verse 5. Notice what it says. It says here in, chapter, in verse 5, it says, Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great of matter a little fire kindleth. The 2018 wildfire season is the most destructive and deadly wildfire season on record in California. With a total of 8,434 fires burning, an area of 1,890,000 acres. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? An amazing thing. That particular, those wildfires left 97 civilians dead, six firefighters as well. Do you know that the majority of wildfires are begun or started by lightning? That's how they begin, most of them. Every once in a while you'll hear about a, a forest fire beginning as a result of someone not putting out the proper fires, the embers still uh, hot and ultimately spring forth and burn down a number of acres, thousands, even millions. But in this case, in most cases, it's usually a lightning strike. But nonetheless, just a little spark, and thousands of acres of forest are lost, and billions of dollars of damage is done. That's the kind of power the tongue has. The tongue can light a spark. It's just a little spark is all it needs. Boy, how much damage the tongue can cause, how much power the tongue has. And finally, verse 6. We note here in chapter 3, it says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. Now, I want to know four things about the tongue from the passage. Verse 6, that is. First of all, note it's decadent. It is decadent. You say, what's that? Well, i got to have D's, okay? So i got to use the word decadent. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. When you think about the potential of evil that the tongue has, it is, it's really mind-boggling. Sin entered into the world. Think about this. Sin entered into the world in the very first place by means of a forked tongue, so to speak. The tongue of an old serpent. I mean, think about that. The very moment that Adam was confronted with his sin, guess what he did? He used his tongue to blame both God and accuse, evil, accuse Eve, didn't he? That tongue again. The potential. Potential for evil. When Eve was faced with her sin, what'd she do? She blames the serpent for beguiling her. I mean, it, it's interesting even to note the first recorded words of Cain. When you think about what Cain said, the Bible says, And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? How does Cain respond? I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Wow, the tongue. After killing his brother, his first words are, a lie, and contemptible. I mean, that's amazing to me, really. Confronted by God, still lying, still having an attitude, sharing that attitude with his tongue. I'm telling you, the tongue is a decadent thing. 
It, the potential for evil of the tongue is off the charts. Not only is it decadent, but it's defiling. The Bible says it defileth the whole body. Now the word for defileth really kind of means spot or stain. And James uses the word to underline the defiling effects of, 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 of an evil use of the tongue. So he's not talking about just the tongue in general. He's saying when you use it for evil, this is what it does. It defiles. It leaves a spot. It leaves a stain. This kind of, 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 of um, I guess we, if we wanted to summarize the word, if I wanted to kind of try to say, what are we talking about when we say that the tongue is defiling? Well, I guess the word um, could be defined in, in a word called fallout. Now let me explain. That word fallout kind of took root a number of years ago in the dawn of the nuclear age. Think about years ago, if you were in school, we started learning about nuclear fallout. Remember that? That was years ago. Now, there were two atomic bombs that were dropped on Japan in 1945. These bombs wiped out cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, but they also devastated everything else for miles around. Not only were thousands killed as a result of the bombings, but the radiation it left behind threatened everyone who survived. The, the United States would test both atomic bombs and hydrogen bombs on the Marshall Islands. Both in 1946 and 1958, bombs were tested. And guess what? It completely contaminated these islands. We call it, they were contaminated by fallout, really. And everything around them contaminated by fallout. It wasn't just the explosion that wrecked and ruined. It was also the fallout. It corrupted. It defiled. It spotted. It stained. And you know, when the Bible's talking here about the fallout, that's a, a, this, this, this defiling aspect of the tongue, it's talking about how the tongue not only hurts and harms, but the fallout of it is horrible. I mean, when you use the tongue improperly... It's totally devastating. Because it doesn't just hurt the one you're directing it at. There's always fallout. It defileth the whole body. Not only that, but it's destructive, this tongue. A tongue that's used improperly is destructive. And setteth on fire the course of nature. It setteth on fire the course of nature. That word setteth on fire, that phrase setteth on fire, comes from a word that means to burn up. It refers to destru the destructive effect that a wicked tongue can have on all the circumstances of life. The word for course, when it says course of nature, but the word for course itself literally means a wheel. And so it has to do with the whole round of human activity. And, and I'll get to it here. We're going to finish this up with the word nature. It, it, it's, um, it's a word genesis, and it, it's referring to the sphere of our earthly life. So basically what we're saying is James sees life as a great revolving wheel of circumstances. And the tongue is capable of disrupting all of them. It, it'll, it'll just totally and completely disrupt. Now, I, when I think of this, I, might, I kind of view this as kind of a bike tire. Okay, I see life as this tire, this wheel. And the spokes represent circumstances and situations in life. 
But the way James is using it is we're introducing something into life that can totally and completely wreck it. And when it comes to a bike tire, let me tell you, friend, introduce a stick and you got a problem. Now, years ago, when I was just a kid, I still remember going to the park and I was riding my bike through the park. And for some reason, there was a year or two there where there was a bunch of, a bunch of losers at the park, you know, tough guys, thought they were this, thought they were all that. And they were trying to intimidate all the little kids. And I was a little kid. So they were trying to scare me. And honestly, I was kind of scared. I mean, I know I could whoop any three of my own size, but these guys were not my size. They're much older, and, and, and I still remember, I still remember riding my bicycle down the, down, I think it was down the sidewalk, if I remember correctly. It's been quite a few years now, and a stick was thrown into my spokes, which at that point, my front tire seized up, and over the handlebars I went. James is talking about the tongue, and he's saying, now listen, he's saying when you look at this, he says it set it on fire the course of nature. He's saying this, this, the life is like a wheel, and, and, and there are circumstances of life that are, 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 are continually coming up. And, and, and he's saying when you speak improperly, when you use your tongue in an improper manner, you're introducing spokes to the tire, or should I say a stick to the spokes, and you're wrecking and ruining Everything that goes along in life there. You're making a big mess. The tongue can ignite all the worst of our passions. When you talk about lust, envy, hatred, malice, even murder, think about the tongue and all the damage it's done through the years. And finally, it's devilish, the tongue is. It's devilish. Notice it says, and it is set on fire of hell. It's devilish. Now, the real origin of a wicked tongue is hell itself. You can't help but think about the cross either when you start thinking about this. I mean, think about the chief priest and the scribes who falsely accused the Lord Jesus. Set on fire of hell. Think about the witnesses who literally just bold-faced lied about Jesus. Tell me that their tongues weren't set on fire of hell. By the way, their tongues are pretty hot today too. Think about Caiaphas who sentenced Jesus to death. Consider the soldiers who blindfolded our master, slapped him in the face, mocked him saying, who is he that smote thee? I don't think he slapped him. I think they beat him. Then the crowds, think about them as they're crying, crucify him, crucify him. Tongue set on fire of hell. There at Calvary, the chief priest mocked him as he hung on the cross. They said, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we'll believe, we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Tongue set on fire of hell. Too often we dismiss the seriousness of this matter, I think. I really do. I, I don't think we take our tongues seriously enough. And I'm and I, I say we, and I mean that. I, I think we, we really don't realize how great a fire it kindleth. 
You know, we would quickly blame our tempers or hurt feelings for the stinging words we spew out. I mean, it's my temper. You just don't understand. I got angry. Set on fire of hell. We might point to another person who treated us unfairly or blamed us without a cause. That's why I said what I said. Set on fire of hell. We would justify our rants and our rages as mere retaliation. But according to the Bible, there's only one source for decadent, defiling, and destructive words. And that's hell itself. Now you and I can convince ourselves that we're simply venting. Or we're being honest. Or we're telling the truth even. But words that hurt and harm, words that cut and crush, words that pillage and pummel, find their roots in none other than the destructive flames of hell itself. Many are quick to categorize the nasty as being noble. I was doing it for their own good. Or the appalling as appropriate. But there's only one culprit, one source for such use of the tongue. That's hell. Again, I think that we take this way too lightly, too often. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. The truth is, is if we would shut our mouths, we wouldn't commit half the sins we do. The truth is, in every one of our lives, this little element, this little member creates more trouble for us than any other. The tongue. There are marriages that will split. There are families that will depart from one another that never return. There's things that will be said that will put an unremovable barrier in your life between your family, your friends, and your co-workers. There are people who will use their tongue to destroy and divide and destruct the church itself. That tongue will keep people that are lost from coming to the Savior. How sad it is to think as believers how often we allow our tongues to control us instead of us controlling our tongue. And that's true in all of our lives to some degree or another. And sometimes I think it's because we really don't think much about it. We don't really remember what God says about it. If there is any question as to whether or not the tongue is set on fire of hell or not, we need to remember that James is simply a tool in the hand of God, writing under inspiration of the Holy Ghost. This is God's word. And God's words are always true. Said, what man can tame the tongue? (laughs) If he tames it, he's a perfect man. What woman can tame the tongue? If she can tame it, she's a perfect woman. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. 
Wow. The pattern. Little things direct larger things. The power. The tongue is small, but boy, is it dangerous. And the perversion. We noted its decadence, its defiling, it is destructive, it is devilish. Proverbs chapter 21, 23 says this though. Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. Proverbs chapter 17, verses 27 and 28 says, He that hath knowledge spareth his words, and a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. And he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. Boys, believers, we need to be very careful with our tongues. As we go forward in our study, we're going to look at the the tongue a little bit and we're going to consider this idea, when to hold your tongue. I wonder in the last 24 hours, if you said something that you wish you didn't? Maybe in the last hour. Last week, have you said anything that you would regret, that you wish you wouldn't have said? And again, listen, let's just be honest and let's not be so pious about this. Well, I got upset. I just got angry and I slipped and I said a bad word. Set on fire of hell. You became the mouthpiece of Satan. Why is it that we dismiss our sin so readily, so easily? How is it that we can take a subject that God considers to be so, in, so unbelievably important and we'll just discard it as though it's really not that big a deal? I mean, everybody struggles with their tongue, right? Everybody says things they don't really mean. Everybody goes off and gets upset and says bad words, right? I mean, that's just the way it is. People attack their family and they attack their friends and they say bad things. That's just normal. That's common. It ought not to be for a believer, though. For those who have the divine nature, for those who have Christ indwelling them, for us that have received Him into our life as Savior and Lord, we're to live at a different level in another plane. We are citizens of heaven, and our tongues ought to reflect our citizenship. May God help us. To realize how important what we say and how we say things is. And even more important, remember how important it is to him. There's only two gods when it's all said and done. And I mean there's only one God, but the Bible calls others little g-gods. Satan believes himself to be a God. And let me tell you something. He's the father of all those uh, that are liars. We got big G God and you can go ahead and use your tongue for him or you and I can use our tongue for the little G gods. We're going to give an account though for those words we say. God's going to hold us accountable. May God help us to do the right thing, say the right thing and live our lives in a way that will truly reflect positively on our citizenship. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for the privilege that we have to gather today. Lord, maybe even in our crowd today, there's a need for believers to rectify or correct some things, to confess some things that they've said.